Hi listeners, Jason here. We are excited to finally announce registrations for the biggest psych health and safety community event ever. The inaugural The Psych Health and Safety Conference will be held at the Sofitel Wentworth, Sydney, June 19 to 20, 2024, and offer concurrent virtual attendance. It'll feature live podcast recordings with OG researchers, including Christina Maslak and Michael Leiter of Burnout fame, Psych Health and Safety USA podcast host I, David Daniels, Australian super experts, including the likes of David Burrows, a special 10-year anniversary integrated approaches to workplace mental health panel with authors Tony LaMontagna, Angela Martin and Kat Page, hand-picked case studies from organisations doing it well, and a very special interview with plaintiff Zaggy Kozarov by Catherine Donlop on that High Court case which we previously covered on the podcast. This event will sell out. Get in quick to secure tickets at early bird prices for the two-day conference, pre-conference masterclasses and the VIP dinner. The first 200 in-person registrations also get a copy of her latest book, The Burnout Challenge, signed by Christina Maslach herself. Find out more and register at www.psychhealthandsafetyconference.com. Now, on to this episode. From Flourish DX, this is the Psych Health and Safety Podcast. With workplace mental health becoming a safety prerogative, this is the source of information on psychological injury prevention and health promotion. Hi, and welcome to the UK Psych Health and Safety Podcast. My name is Peter Kelly, and I'm your host for today. Um, and we have a special guest, as always, on the podcast. Um, and I'm going to let Paul introduce himself, and then I'm going to tell you a little bit of how we ended up on this podcast after meeting in a bar, which you'll all recognise as a common phenomena in any of my guests that I meet. Paul? Yeah, good to be here, Peter. Um, yes, I'm Paul. I'm the founder of everymindatwork.com, and have been sharing my own lived experience of um, sadly losing my dad to suicide um, for the last seven years now. So I lost dad 14, nearly 15 years ago. Took me a long time to kind of, you know, deal with my own challenges that came with that. And then, yeah, started sharing my story about seven years ago in the workplace, outside the workplace and and still do it today. So yeah, very passionate about this this subject and um, just grateful to be here after our random meet in a bar, as you say, Peter. Yes, in Manchester, um, highly recommended it was. Um, yeah, I mean, um, you know, we've uh, both on LinkedIn and uh, I've, I've been following you and you've been following me, so it was nice to meet up. But sometimes, as you said, you know, you meet up with someone and you think, yeah, this is like a kindred spirit, someone that's got the same values and the same things that drive me. And, and that's what I wanted to really sort of talk about as well, which is, you know, Obviously, we, we know that about your, your dad, but over the last seven years, you've been on a journey, haven't you, really, in this in this field? And it's, So you don't just talk about your lived experience. You do other things as well, don't you? And I think that's um, just how fascinated how that that developed and grew. Um, I do apologize if you see me eating chocolate cashews, but I, um, it is Christmas and when we're recording this. We'll be going out in January. Yeah. No, I've, I've got a... A Mars bar wrapper here as well, so I've already I've already got at the the celebrations that are mounting up. But um, but yeah, like you say, Peter, I, I started sharing my own my own experience, and I didn't know where it was going to go. If I'm honest, like I spent the first probably two years, three years, maybe just saying yes to every opportunity. Like as long as I had a forum, a place where I could share, I was I was willing to do it. And 
you know, to be transparent, I found that organizations started to put more of a, a need on it, but it was very much around like specific awareness days. So like the first thing I would do is like, can you come and do a, a lunch and learn and share your story on World Mental Health Day? And then that was kind of it. So I always say I became like a tick box exercise quite quickly back then. And um, so, yeah, the concept of every mind kind of arose from that. It's like every mind was was created because I thought to myself, how do you create that ongoing support, that proactive support, the, the prevention side of all of this? And so, yeah, we, we, we kind of dabbled in a few things and and our first product was a, a well-being app for everyone. And, you know, I look back on that now and I think, you know, it, it was the right intent back then, but the industry just gobbled up, gobbled it up. There's so many apps out there now. And, you know, it's for me, our company is impact first. So we still have the app, but we also do lots around mental health first aid support, you know, champion support, peer-to-peer networks, making sure that there's safety wrapped around those networks. We do webinars, we do workshops. And yeah, the team's still small. There's 16 employees in every mind now, but we support hundreds of organizations on a yearly basis, different industries. And it, it gives us a good snapshot of what's what they're doing and what they're doing well, which we we learn from and we we share to others as well. So yeah, we do lots in this space. Do you think there's um do you think there's been a change in appetite over the last few years? Yeah, I so much. And again, this is why I think me and you have, have linked up now. You know, for, for me, well-being is still bucketed in 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 most cases as like a, a a nice to have to benefit, right? And you know, what I found is when when the markets are tough, the first thing that normally goes are benefits. And and I think when you're still when you're still categorizing well-being and when you're still categorizing you know mental health in organizations as a benefit it's not being invested in in the way that i see possible so what i've seen over the last seven years is organizations doing nothing organizations throwing everything at it for a period of time and now what we're seeing is organizations being a bit more strategic and stripping things back so not wanting to implement all of the shiny objects and invest loads of money into it but be a bit more thoughtful with what they're doing i'm generalizing there's still so many companies that don't do anything right but um you know there's there's a lot of i think companies now being a bit more strategic than just implementing everything and, and hoping that it works we've talked a lot on this podcast about the hundreds and i mean hundreds of apps that came out post lockdown um with very poor evidence-based um and it's interesting you're building your evidence base through your interaction with your clients. Um, when when you talk about mental health and our, the mental health journey, um, traditionally, I think, chief execs, this was not a conversation that they were having um, because they were almost shielded from it. Or then they're in an environment where they weren't able to talk. I mean, have you found that yourself? Like, you know, when you we we're now talking to board of directors or chief execs, whereas in the past we, you know, it might have just stayed in, in one area. Or I just hopeful. No, I think it's happening. I think you know I've done talks to exec teams before, and I still have to remind myself sometimes that these are human beings, right? It's like I don't know what it is. They almost seem like this. I don't know, you're going into an exec meeting and and these guys aren't going to get it. For the most part, in my experience, and, and maybe I haven't got the great 
the greatest perspective because the companies we tend, I tend to deliver to that exec teams already invested in it. So they've probably already got a bit of buying anyway. But yeah, I mean, don't get me wrong. Not all of them understand it. Not all of them are really invested in it, but everyone is human and everyone has got an experience. And I think that's where lived experience comes in. I think if I just walk in with some facts and figures, you know, they get it, they understand it and, and they do need the ROI. They do need the, the the reasons to invest in it. But I do think they also need the human side to it. Like I, if I think to my, if I can get them to connect with me, whether it's through, they might not have been through the experience that I have, but I'm damn sure they've had like a challenge in their life, right? Or they've got children who potentially have experienced mental ill health. So for me with the exec team, is like if I can get them to connect on that lived experience level, and then you throw all the, you know, the business case at them as well, they do tend to, to listen. But yeah, I think this is why I get me and you having a lot more conversations now, because I think well-being, mental health needs to become a need to have as opposed to a nice to have. And that's where the exact level health and safety, you know, all of that kind of definitely kicks in for sure. Yeah. And hopefully the, um, the advent of ISO 45003, which is the standard for psychological health and safety, um, will help to put those formal structures around it. Um, and, and, and to do that, I mean, you know, turning to the work around, um, peer to peer support around uh, mental health. Have you seen a growth in in that or is it just something you're still banging on a door saying you need to have this? Because um, when we met in Manchester, we discussed about the fact that actually it's not a nice to, it's a, it's a must. They need to be, your, you know, your men, people who are in that capacity, the peer-to-peer support net, networks need to be strong, robust, clear, and how they support each other. So I'd be interested to see if, it, if it's still, you're getting traction because they're coming to you or you're just having to really, really push it and say, yeah. have you thought about how you're looking after your people? Yeah, it's, it's twofold, isn't it? I think, so we're really focusing on, as you kind of highlighted there, so peer-to-peer networks, you know, mental health first aid is probably the most common one mental health champions, companies name them different things, but you know, so our platform helps companies track impact. Our platform and and support—it's not just a platform; it's 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 the real support. Is more strategic in as me and you have spoken about making sure the right people are in that network. How do we make sure that there's safety wrapped around those networks? And and alongside that, we provide like on-demand clinical supervision to the network. You know, monthly development. So there's lots that we're doing for those specific groups. And and the reason why we do that is because, as you've kind of highlighted. Mental health first aid has been implemented and I think companies have implemented it without actually putting too much effort into it. Like me and you have spoken about this a few times, like it's an off the shelf solution. If you just do the training, you now have mental health first aiders, you signpost people to those individuals. It's like tick, we've done. So a lot of the companies that we're working with have maybe implemented it two years ago and now they're like, oh, damn, there's some more work we need to be doing here because they don't know what the mental first aiders are saying, if they're overstepping boundaries, if they're burning out because the amount of conversations that they're having. So they're now looking at working with us on, on that case. But yeah, to your point, there's still loads of organizations out there that are focusing just on the training and like the quantity of training. Like we've got 500 mental first aiders as opposed to, you know, working with us or, or thinking about 
you know, the, the quality of those networks and how you can really make peer-to-peer -peer work. Because, you know, I know peer-to-peer -peer is, is so successful if done correctly, but there's huge risks and challenges if it's done incorrectly. Like I'm pers personally sharing from my own experience here. When I shared my story for the first time, I don't know if I shared this with you already. Um, I shared it because I wanted to help people like my dad. And what I wasn't ready for was the queue of people after the session who then shared their stories with me. And I'm like, I wasn't, I didn't sign up to this. I didn't, you know, I didn't expect someone to talk about losing their son to suicide, you know, their daughter's eating disorder, all of this that I would then sit on the train with. And it just got me into quite a difficult place myself as well. Like I had no one that I could turn to. So we see it all the time with individuals in organizations, like they need that support 100% for them to be effective. And, and yeah, that's kind of where we're focused. Yeah. And I think that's really important. And it is an important, like, you know, um, I've had the same experience and, you know, I, I guess I was fortunate when I, as a, when I was working in a clinical setting, we had supervision, we had peer to peer support. It was part and parcel of being a, you know, a psychologist. Um, but afterwards, yeah, you know, being open about your life experience and your mental health does open you up to a whole range of, um, so I would, I would suspect that that's, as you say, it's occurring with people who are mental health first aiders, uh, and, and it's, um, the thing for me is it's all these systems around what do you do? What do you, you know, when someone's ill, they're ill. And you, what do you do next? Where does it go? What, what are the systems that are in place? Do you advise on that? Do you, when you're talking with people, do you say you need to think about these, these things that need to be in place, almost like the scaffolding around it? Yeah, it's like, um, again, we've spoken about this. It's like, you know, if you just go and train anyone to be a mental health first aider, actually it's two sides of it i think the training's good training like it's it's good awareness right but as, as we've discussed the implementation and the lack of research around it being successful if it's implemented incorrectly is is, is lacking but i think if, if anyone went through that training and i think there is some evidence that shows that that people walk away with a better knowledge and better understanding right but you know, them becoming mental health first aiders, offering that peer-to-peer -peer support in an organization, the, the evidence lacks. But it, it's the evidence from what I've seen is stronger when, like you say, there's frameworks and, and stuff wrapped around it. So, you know, it sounds very formal, but like assessing the people that become mental health first aiders, are, are, they, are they the right people? Um, what development program do we have in place after the two days training? What supervision do they have access to? How do we bring them together as a community? How do we create more engagement for the network? Like all of that stuff needs to be thought of and that's kind of where we step in. But um, yeah, like you say, it, it kind of really lacks. And one of the questions I was gonna ask you, Peter, if you don't mind, is what we're also finding is- I'll make you the host, Paul. <laughs> exactly, I'm happy to be the host. What we're finding is the ones that are really motivated, empowered, when it comes to offering peer-to-peer -peer support in their organizations, you know, the champions, mental health first aiders, whoever, are the ones that have lived experience, right? Because again, you know, like myself, I'm very driven in the work that I do because of because of dad and because of my own challenges, similar to like what you've shared, et cetera. So from a risk perspective, you know, they, they might also be the ones who could be, I wouldn't say the most vulnerable, but like, I still have my own challenges, right? Um, I'm not over my dad. It still impacts me. It still triggers me when I speak to people 
and I have certain conversations about suicide. So that's what we're seeing as well. It's like the double-edged sword. These are really passionate and motivated people because of their own lived experience, but also does that put them at risk because of their own lived experience, if that makes sense? Yeah, I mean, it does have the potential if the systems are not there and they're not in the right place. I guess that's the um, that's the reason why you, you want to make sure you have good systems in place to help to help your people. And, you know, I mean, even... Um, we are talking about obviously when my dad passed two years ago um you know i had a lot of support on linkedin but i had a, it was dark for a period of time because my dad was my, my dad was my world and you know i i lost a i lost um a significant anchor stone as i call him you know he sort of um so but i i think i was fortunate because i have people around me who i could who i reached out to and went um you know this this is happening uh, and they you know, I call them my tribe, <laughs> so I have a tribe, <laughs> and they're my, they're my tribe, and I brought them in, and you know, and they they enable me to sort of get through that. Uh, I mean, I go and visit him on Christmas Day. Is uh, is uh, so um, yeah, out towards? I'm not going in the Irish Sea, but he's 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 not far from the Irish Sea, <laughs> so I always walk out with my best mates. Um, so yeah, so it's stories like that, you know, it's things that you that you hold on to and. Um, you know, but I had, you know, I've had, I've had friends who, who've also taken their life, and um, you know, it is there is that moment where you like, I guess years ago I would have gone, oh, you know, I wish I could have done something, but sometimes you can't, and I guess that's the reality that, but, but um, in a lot of cases you can, and it's a simple conversation. I was listening just on my post on Instagram, sorry, no, my post on LinkedIn from an Instagram video of a vet who was crying in a car who was on who was suicidal and um, he, a police officer comes to the door and he opens down and he sort of, and he, and he says to him, you know, how can, you know, what's going on? He said, I'm on the suicide line for the, for the, for the, the vets. And he said, look, you, you know, I'm, I'm come out here. Come on, let's have a look, come to get out of the car. I can't afford to go to hospital. He said, I won't help you do. And he just said, look, let me, a bit bubbly here, but he said, can I have a hug? And this was a guy who was in immediate distress, and this police officer reached out and gave him a hug. Now, that's the value of understanding that moment. I mean, I've, been, I've been there. So so I guess, um, yeah, if you have had these experiences, and you, you, know, you, you can use those in a positive way. But, yeah, I do, going back to your original question, there is a vulnerability factor there, and we need the screening... I think probably needs to be more enhanced just to say, okay, what happens if, <laughs> and if it, it doesn't stop you from being a champion, but it's recognizing that you might have a trigger. And if you have a trigger, what's the organization going to do about that trigger? Um, and I think that's the, um, it's like you were saying when you, you know, Oh, what do I do with that? I'm sat on a train on my home for, for two hours um, you know, with a lot of, you know, just it, it does, you know, everyone's got one case or one, you know, situation that they remember. Mm. I think like you said about your tribe, like that's, that's, I think that's the key part, right? It's like, we, we try to become that tribe and I would say I've got that tribe now. And I think like you say, you're not, I'm not immune to having difficult conversations or like sessions impacting me more than, than others, but you know, I can I can call someone pretty quickly and, and speak to them in the team, but also outside of that, 
you know, I've got, I've got that tribe now. Whereas back then on that train, I didn't, you know, I was kind of like, I felt, felt very alone. Like I'm, I don't, I don't know who, who can relate to, to this, you know, how, how do you, how do you speak to them about it? So I think that tribe's super important, but also like in regards to like what we've seen some companies do to be successful is even being able to like gray yourself out of, of being a mental health first data for a couple of months. You know, it's, it's companies don't even have that mechanism in place. You know, I, I'm on the internet. I'm, being signposted to go and speak to Paul if you're struggling with your mental health. And and I want to say, I need a month. I need a month to focus on myself. Like lots of companies can't make that happen, but some of the ones we're working with uh, have got some good systems in place to, to allow that to be the case. You know, doesn't mean that I don't want to offer peer-to-peer support next year, but I just need a couple of weeks to myself. You know, I just need that bit of time for me. So yeah, it's interesting. Like you say, there is vulnerabilities, but there's ways of, as you say, mitigating some of those challenges. Do you need more psych health and safety in your life? Then head over to the Flourish GX Academy for several free on-demand e-learning courses. If you're an internal professional, follow Flourish GX on Eventbrite to register for any of our free fortnightly interactive webinars. Our flagship professional practice program is also exclusively available for internal professionals. The 12-week course blends theory, applied practice, and interaction with other professionals through live lectures and a monthly community of practice session. Find out more about all these learning opportunities or inquire about a bespoke in-house training at the Flourish DX Academy, www.45003.com. Now, back to this episode. I think there always has been, and we've, one of the, the Cochrane Review, which um, came out recently, said about, you know, that where it is successful, mental champions or mental health first aids, is where there's the, the add-on systems of work, you know. Um, and when we, we, when we were chatting in the pub and I said, if you'd asked me 20 years ago, would I want a million and a half people trained in mental health? I would have gone, yes. Because mm-hmm. <laughs> we didn't have that 20 years ago. And now we've got that, it's what we do with that. And, and so what we do with that, that knowledge. So in, in one of the, um, over the course of the last 20 years, what we've seen is is a change in, in this idea of psychological safety and psychological health. So in, in a, talking from a psychological health perspective, um, do you think the awareness of people, the people's awareness of psychological stuff has increased? Um, uh, and I personally believe it was increasing before lockdown, but... I do think um, some of the the psychological health and safety has now become a phenomena, or you know, in psychosocial risk. So, mm. yeah, I think it has. Like I, I, I always sort of talk about. Um, you know, my dad was two thousand and nine, right? So he, we first knew there was an issue end end of two thousand and eight, and I remember he took his own life. Um, 4th of March, 2009. And then I reckon it was about a year ago, like 2010, I was in the Odeon cinema and I went to the toilet. And as you know, in in the good old urinals, there's normally like adverts. And normally all the adverts in the urinals were just ads that we're used to. Exactly, right? And I looked and I saw... Yeah, I looked and I saw um, Mind. And it had like the words mental health on a poster. 
And looking back at it, I, I didn't know what being triggered was back then. I'd been to therapy or anything, but I was like really sh shaken up by it. I was like, I was in that period of like not talking about my dad. Like I couldn't even say the word suicide. I couldn't even say his name because of like the shame, the shame that comes with suicide bereavement back in that, in that, in that time. And I think to that now in comparison to, I think to that, you know, that moment in 2010 to now, like it's massively different, right? You know, just seeing the words mental health was such a, such a profound thing for me to see in a public place, whereas now it's a lot more ingrained in society. So I think it's getting better. I, I do think to your point, like awareness and education is really important to give people the understanding that they could be struggling I still hear from lots of talks that I do that, that people still struggle to articulate how they feel because they can't put it into words. They don't understand it still enough. But I think the, one of the challenges that we are seeing is awareness is creating a lot more conversations, but where do those conversations go? Like awareness is creating a lot more, I need some support, where do I go now? And that kind of what now is what's lacking because it's still very generic, if that makes sense. Um, but yeah, I've definitely seen massive changes pre-COVID and even even post-COVID as well. Yeah, no, I mean it. It is. Yeah, I'm glad you said that because <laughs> that's what I, I was saying. I mean, I remember those the first time I'd seen the adverts in the urinals um, on the motorway services, or the where there, there was an advert on the um, tube, big, big, massive one that was on the tube. Um, and it was like, yes. <laughs> um, and I know mates in mind um, who I'm, I'm ambassador for, um, Joey Mental Health Advisor, they they have billboards that they put on uh, screens as well. Um, and, you know, with, with, with mental health messages, uh, both to the members of the public and to, uh, and also, you know, to the construction sites and, um, yeah, we did get into this conversation, didn't we, about men's mental health um, and what it was like to be free as men to talk about your mental health. Yeah, yeah. We, we, that's even that's like you say. It's still we're still a long way off. It's like it's getting better, but suicide's still the biggest killer of men under forty-five, right? Um, or 50, I think it is. But, and then like, you know. Gone down, yeah, it's going down. Yeah, men are three times more likely to die by suicide than women. And, and like you say, it's like, again, we're getting better, but there's still such a long way to go for us to to tackle some of those statistics. But I mean, we, me and you were two guys in a, in a, in a bar in Manchester talking about our feelings, right? So any, anyone can do it. <laughs> yeah. 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 Well, I think it is that, well, it's that vulnerability, isn't it? We, we talked about that being vulnerable. I didn't feel I was being vulnerable. I just felt it was a natural thing to talk. That's the difference. I think but that's, right? that's like, but again, that's, I think that's what we're trying to create in, in corporate environments, right? It's like, you just need one person to make you feel safe to to share that that trust and you know potentially you wouldn't have been as open and i wouldn't have been as open if we wasn't as as open with each other if that makes sense so yeah um as, as you know better than i do like trust and creating that trust in in these environments is a, a key part of having those conversations trust and empathy and and, and, and empathy um that comes naturally i guess and, and you know in terms of of what people are expecting. So where do you see the future, Paul? Where do you see that where do you think we'll be in 
the next three or four years from now. Oh. Well, give me a utopian ideal and give me the maybe um, we're not quite there. <laughs> I think that there will be so one, this is just for us. There's and I don't like using this term, but there's a lot of um I think there's a lot of potential risk that's gonna be opened up and created because of how mental health first aid's been implemented. So I can see that changing a lot. Um, I, I really believe in peer-to-peer networks and harnessing those. Like I've done talks with lots of networks of mental health first aiders and champions and organizations these last couple of months. And like them, they're, they're incredible people. Like, as you know, Peter, they're just so passionate, you know, so empathetic. And I think well, I talk about the ripple effect a lot. You know, one conversation that they have today could potentially impact thousands of people down the line. Who knows, right? You just never know the impact of a conversation. Um, but yeah, I, I do think organizations will start to look at the potential consequences and risks that open up from not supporting these networks and implementing the way that they've done. So that's that's my hope. I think the, the, the education around that, that changes because I think these groups are great, but they do need that support. They need that development. They need to be implemented better. Um, and yeah, I, ju- I just hope that more organizations, as I've, as I said at the beginning, make this a priority. Um, you know, it, 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 they shouldn't, it should be ingrained, I believe, into the whole organization, as opposed to we've got a 10 grand budget for wellbeing this year. What can you do? You know, it, it should be ingrained into it. It should be more of a necessity. So I do hope that, you know, as we've discussed, there's there's more legal requirements and there's there's more things put in place so organizations do pay more attention to it but i don't want them to just tick boxes you know if if you value your people and you invest in your people there's always going to be rewards that are reaped from that um so yeah i do hope in the next three to five years it won't be such a hard sell and it'll be a little little bit easier hopefully yeah it's it's not like if you value people they'll look after you it's kind of like hello um we've known that since the dawn of history um but um and also it's a selfish point of view like you know dad's nearly 15 years um it was a totally different time back then but his organization did nothing about mental health right if i'm being honest nothing but again back then 15 16 17 years ago i'm sure they weren't the only ones doing nothing about mental health right and then i remember his attempt, he attempted very quickly after we knew there was an issue and, and that was a massive shock to them. And, that, and and give them their due, they were very supportive at that time. And then when he died by suicide, again, the way they reacted with us as a family was, was very good. But they then start putting stuff in place afterwards. And, and still 15 years on, I see that happen time and time again in organizations. It, until someone sadly takes their own life uh you know a family they've got family friends colleagues that's when companies start to pay more attention to it and that's a core driver for me i don't want that to be the the reason why companies start investing a bit more we want to be at the the other side of the equation which is making sure that um that systems are in place for so that these people when they reach out they do reach out can be supported and, and can be helped. Um, I asked you when I met, how do you think your dad would feel? Hmm. Um, 
You know what the answer is already, but no, it's it's. I, I get goosebumps when I think about it. Right, he'd probably say, "Stop airing my dirty laundry, Paul." You know, stop. So no, he would. He would. Um, he would. I. Everyone says you'd be proud, and I, I. I do hope that he would be, and I'm sure he will be. But um, for me, like, I get a lot of I get a lot of purpose from it because I feel like my dad's legacy lives on. Um, yeah. You know, I, I share his story, but I share very much about how his suicide impacted in, impacted me. And and that's the other thing, right? We've just spoken that example there. An organization loses an employee to suicide. I think people forget how many people that directly impacts, right? You know, and then the 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 mental health challenges that they're likely to experience because of that as well. So yeah, I'd, I'd hope that he'd, he'd be proud. I'm sure he would be. Um, but I do find a lot of purpose in the fact that knowing that, you know, when people say that me sharing my story, the work that I've done over the last seven, eight years has, has helped people, I normally then naturally default to like my dad. Like I feel like my dad's helped those individuals. And, you know, that's, that's quite, um, yeah, it gives me goosebumps thinking about it to be honest. Yeah. And that's, um, you know, as I told you when, when, when about eight years ago, I was uh, talking to my dad and he said, what'd you do, son? What'd you do? I said, um, help people with their mental health and work. Dad. And he went, why can't people just be real with each other? So I was like, Dad, if we ever start a company, <laughs> that's what it's going to be um, about being real. Um, and, it, you know, it's um, being real comes at a price, but it, but at the same time, um, you, you wouldn't do it any differently. Like, yeah. you know, um, and, and the situation that you found yourself in and, and you know, and, yeah, and I know your dad would be proud of you, you know, as your mate, uh, as anyone would be. Uh, you know, because your dad lives on, and your dad's legacy lives on. And um, you know, I remember coming, I came away after it. <laughs> I was on the on the way home the train, and I was just buzzing because mm. I thought, you know what? Actually, you you kind of get why we do this. And, I, and it's like I, I thought about this today when I did this post, which is being there at that time for that one moment for that person is so fundamentally important. Um, and and using um, our life experiences, you know. And as I said, you know, I've um, suffered from anxiety for twenty five years, so um, it's like a it's a journey we do together. <laughs> um, but um, but hopefully, by being being real and talking about it, is is the difference. Now, what we normally do here, Paul, is we we, we give you an opportunity to have one one takeaway something that you if you could tell your young self what would it be so what would that be i think it just leads to what you've just shared like one thing that i'm exploring a lot this year and i have been for a few years now is is authenticity and being real right um you know i'm a a people pleaser by default my mum and dad were people pleasers and but i i the more i'm diving into to, to sharing my story and my experience more so like the more I am being authentic and yeah so what I I'm trying to do and one lesson I'd love to have given to my younger self is is you know discover who you are and and live by that you know don't be too caught up in the opinions of others and you know as, as long as I know that I I'm doing the work that I'm doing with the right intent. I don't have to persuade anyone else, right? And when I meet people like you who walk away and you 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 know my intent, right? Mm. Um, 
those are the individuals that know authentically who I am. And, and I say that because again, the more, the more I share, the more I put myself out there, the more I'm exposing myself to criticism, to, to, you know, people saying different beliefs about what I have, but yeah, I sleep, I sleep better tonight because, and, and now, because I, 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 I know who I am and I know what I'm trying to achieve and who I'm trying to help. And, you know, I'm not going to please everyone. So yeah, I think if I could go back to the younger me who had crippling anxiety about everyone's opinion and trying to like wear masks and control rooms so everyone everyone loved me and everyone adored me, right? Um, because I was so fearful of criticism, people pleasing, I would just say like, know who you are and and and, and live authentically. So I'm, I'm getting better at it. I'm not perfect, but I'm, I'm definitely getting better at it. Which makes you an authentic leader. Mm, exactly. <laughs> Which is um, one of the characteristics of you know companies that are successful is authentic leadership that actually live live by the values and live by the system and um, and you know that's what we're talking about people when we're talking about people's psychological health that's what we're trying to create a place where where people um, are looked after where actually they don't have accidents they don't get ill and um, and we know suicides increased. Uh, in the last over the last few years, uh, six thousand alone in the UK. So it's um, yeah, and then twenty five percent increase in depression and anxiety. So we've got some work set out for us <laughs> or ahead of us. But yeah, so well, thank you very much for taking the chance. Uh, just leaves me to to remind people that they can listen to this on their various podcast networks that they have. Um, and also we're on YouTube. There's been a nice little video of us together, a montage. Um, and uh, so thank you, Paul. Look forward to the next beer. And, uh, and that's us for now. And Merry Christmas to everyone, although you'll get this in the new year. So Happy New Year as well. You've been listening to the Psych Health and Safety Podcast. To stay up to date with the latest on psychological injury prevention, follow Flourish DX on LinkedIn and subscribe to the Psych Health and Safety Podcast at www.psychhealthandsafety.com.